I'm about to read to you from the second half of the story that David just read to you a couple of minutes ago. And I invite you to listen carefully. These words were written for you and for me. If you want to follow along as I read, I believe it's on page 30 in your pew Bibles of the Second Testament. Listen carefully for the word of our Lord. So the swine herds ran off, and they told that story in the city and in the country, and then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus, and they saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it, and then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by those demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused. He said to him, go home. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and, and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. This is the word of our Lord. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Heaven and earth will pass away, but these words never will. Victor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book he wrote, At such a moment of suffering, it is not the physical pain which hurts the most. It's the mental agony caused by the injustice, the unreasonableness of it all. This story, this full story, that you heard today is the story of a man and his demons, and, and it packed a big punch. Or, or, I think it must have, because Mark, Matthew, and Luke all wrote it down, and even more, they all remembered it in pretty much the same way. At first glance, it's a story about a man riddled with demons. Now, I don't know much about how to preach about demons. I think they come in so many shapes and sizes and colors and different levels of ugliness and that we probably all have a different perspective about the demons that we've run into in our lives and either with people we love or those that are within us. It's always nice when we can keep a lid on those personal demons, hide them away from the rest of the world, or at least show them only to those few people who will love us anyway, because we're weird, we're broken, we're crazy. And this man couldn't hide his demons. They were splayed out, literally, in a vulnerable nakedness that released all the nastiness of humanness. I had a really great conversation with Wendy Farley a few weeks ago about this very story. She's the director of the programs in Christian spirituality at, at SFTS, and 
we were talking and, and, and then it was such a great conversation that we emailed back a few times and I'm going to share a little bit about what she said. She wrote back to me in one of our, part of our discourse, she said, Ellen, you know, modern people don't always connect with demons, but I find them to be a powerful image. I love the line, my name is Legion, for we are many. In that kind of deep suffering that has tormented this man, it's not just one issue. It's not one diagnosis or it's, it's, instead it's, it's many complex rivers of, of pain, personal and collective. And these rivers of pain, they run together and they mix together and they knot up and they become so entangled and snarled and it, it becomes impossible to sort them out. Each magnifies the others. And the images for this demoniac are so strong and tender and bound with useless chains, crying out, bruising himself, and living among the tombs. All such powerful images of intense suffering, a living death, its own prison, chains and all. In case you can't tell, I share her feelings on all of it. See, I don't, I don't think this is so much a story about demons. And yeah, this legion of demons is up front and center. And yes, he made the big, huge mistake of taking on Jesus in the showdown. Although not much of one. Jesus made pretty quick work of that. No, I think this is a story about suffering. And what suffering really looks like. I think it's a story of pain. And I think it's the kind of story that has the power to force us to name those places that we don't like to go. Where we're stripped of who we are, naked, vulnerable, where we can feel very alone. I think it's the story about a man released from that pain. I think it's the story about the meaning of somebody's life. I was present once when a young man, about 19 years old, came home from a jail sentence. After serving some time for what was mostly just a few pranks gone wrong, he was a very sweet, if somewhat cocky, kid from a middle-class neighborhood, and he'd just been caught completely off guard one afternoon, pulled out of his comfortable home by the police, taken away from all his stuff, all the stuff 19-year-olds need to have, and carted off to a jail. Tougher place than he'd ever seen before. But one thing led to another, and now, after a time, he got to come home. And I watched him as he got out of the car. And he walked like he was in a daze across his own yard, very slowly. He was oblivious to his mom holding the door open for him and her great big loving smile and the scent of his favorite meal wafting out of the door. Instead, he eased across the grass and he sat down. He just sank to the grass and he gently raised, rested his palms over the glands. And he sat there quietly for several minutes Brushing his hands across the grass, 
breathing out. And his eyes saw something I couldn't see. I ached to go and hold him. And to say all those words that would turn back time. To make it all go away. He had suffered so many pains at his young age to get to this place. That is how I picture the man that you heard David read about just after he was released from this legion of demons, sitting on the steps, oblivious to the commotion around him, drained of all that had been him for so long, empty of all he'd known for so long, a deflated shell of a human being and devoid of spirit. He'd suffered every moment of every night for so long. And this moment was not a suffering moment. Maybe only someone who has suffered this deeply can feel that feeling. Like coming up for air after staying underwater too long. Maybe only someone who has suffered that deeply can bring the wound of, of real, radical, life-giving healing to others. I don't know. But I do know that is what I believe is the miracle of this story. This man, wounded by demons, understood one thing. Those demons, who seem to be the only one who recognized Jesus, they called out his name. And somehow, in God's own irony, they are the ones that let him know. And then Jesus is the one that set him free. You know, I think suffering has its own rights. I think it has the right to speak its peace, to say what it needs to say. Except in the end, suffering can only choose destruction. Yet it's possible to be free from that destruction, to choose life, to be the wounded healer who takes the message of, of radical healing out, out into the world, even from the darkest places. And that, the man of this story chose to do just that, is the miracle Jesus offered him to accept. Now, of course, he stumbled for the first trying to figure it out. He thought he was supposed to get in the boat and go with Jesus. And that's one I can easily relate to. Just when you think you know what you're supposed to do and be, you tell God, and God laughs. But that wasn't what he was created to do and be. Jesus said, go home. Be with your friends. And that's what he did. It's so hard not to think of people who suffer from mental illness when you hear this story. And I think it's so important that we all try to understand a little of, of what kind of pain that pain really is and to respect it for the voice it needs to have, the healing it deserves to receive, the message it will carry to others, and the flowers that can bloom out of that darkness. But I'd also be willing to bet and almost everybody in this place has at one time or another faced the terrifying reality of the fine line that we all walk. And how close the distance 
between suffering and wholeness really is. Recently, a friend that I love dearly hit a wall, a big wall of destruction that caused him to question the, the value of his life and his depression, his depression got too big to keep a lid on, too big to hide from the world, and, and he began to think more and more about suicide, and that demon of depression would actually just explode out of him in these terrifying panic attacks and anxiousness, and it just seemed to him that life would never not be this way. And in God's relentless mercy, he was found out and brought to a place where others could help. And it just so happened that he called me and, and we talked for a while. And the most thing that I remember out of that conversation is that in his brokenness, he whispered over and over, how did I get to this place? How did I get to this place? Ellen, how did I get to this place? Now for him, the love of Christ stepped forward in the form of people who knew what it meant to walk in his shoes, people who had chosen to free themselves from their own destruction, who were now wounded healers in their own right, and they offered respite and a place to heal and to learn how to stay that way, a safe space that would give relentless mercy for his pain. The great hope it is that he will choose the gift that was offered him, and the great miracle will come out of what he does with that gift. I think it's so important to find ways to see through the windows of other people's lives. It, it, it's one of the only two things that Christ ever really asked us to do. Love God with all your heart and soul and might, and love each other the way God loves you. And we never really know where that relentless mercy of Christ is going to show up, do we? It was Gracie Allen who said, never put a period where God intended a comma. And that mercy can happen in a lot of different ways. Big moments, little moments. I'll tell you one more quick story. There was this time when my three kids were really young before I got this one. The other three were pretty young. And we left for a long drive to my grandmother's funeral. And we still had lots of hours to drive. And I'd, I'd spent most of the drive trying not to sob, or at least not to let my children see my tears. My Mima was one of the world's unsung heroes. It was about midnight. Somebody needed a pit stop. And it just so happened that we were in a pretty scary part of a very small North Carolina town. And this was the only place open. So I stopped at a gas station, which was seedy at best, near rough-looking nightclubs and all-night liquor stores, and I gathered my children, and I went in cautiously, and the place was crowded. It was a very diverse population, most of them buying beer, which also concerned me, and my young son held my hand. And as we came in, he started singing the words to scooby dooby doo and I noticed people were watching us, but what do you do? And then out of nowhere, I heard another voice humming Scooby Dooby Doo. And then another one. Somebody started singing, and then somebody else, and then another. And in that instant, we became this choir of people in that dirty all night gas station laughing and singing Scooby Dooby Doo. Where are you? We got some work to do now. 
I love that memory. And where I had been shifted from mental anguish to being terrified at what might happen next, instead, God's Spirit barged into that gritty gas station looking just like Scooby Dooby Doo. I guess I believe Jesus always shows up with a relentless mercy and knowing that love is the only way to grasp another human being in the innermost core of who they really are. And nobody can ever be fully aware of the very essence of someone else unless they love them. It's not always to see Christ, is it? And it's probably hardest to see Christ when we need Christ the most. I think it takes a lot of courage to be a human being, don't you? But if what Jesus taught us is true, we don't have to do it alone. In fact, if what Jesus taught us is true, God's greatest wish would be that we don't even try. The great miracle as it happens, is that as much as we love God, and even in those moments when we try and we can't summon up the ability to love God, and maybe especially those moments, God loves us more and will relentlessly search for us and never give up on loving us and always offer us mercy. And love wins. It always wins when we let it.